Father, would you be with us this morning? God, as we look at your word, and we look at an area that feels very prevalent, but maybe something we don't talk about often or don't deal with directly, would you, by your spirit, correct and convict us uh, where we need correction and where we need conviction? Would you give us ears to hear it, hearts to feel it, hands to be different? God, would you change us and transform us into the image of your son moment by moment? Thanks for the opportunity to gather and study your word together. Go before us in our time. We ask it in your name. Amen. Well, we're starting a new series this morning for five weeks, including today. We're going to talk through what it means to be mature in Christ. So Redemption Church is multiple churches in the valley, family of multiple churches. And normally we just walk through books of the Bible. We'll start that again in February where we'll walk through the Old Testament book of Esther. Uh, for several weeks we'll be in that book. But uh, for five weeks we have uh, an opportunity to speak directly to our context. So Redemption Peoria, we are speaking to you. And so as we knew that was on the calendar, we began to pray uh, as the staff and as elders and go like, what do we need to talk about? What would be good for our people to hear? And so we landed on this idea of mature in Christ coming from Colossians 1.28. This is going to be the verse we're going to read for the next four weeks, including today. And in it, Paul talks about his whole mission as the pastor of the church in uh, the area of Colossae. He says, again, that uh, he's proclaiming Christ, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. His whole goal as a pastor, even though he's never been set foot, he's writing this letter to the church that has been planted. He's saying, my whole goal is to present you mature in Christ. As we talked and again and prayed as a staff, we said, man, um, that's kind of our goal. As, as we know that God has to do the work in and through us, what is our responsibility as a church, as a community to go? Like, what does it look like to grow into maturity in Christ because when you think about that word, when you think about maturity or growth, uh, everybody needs something different in the maturing process. A one-year-old maturing into a two-year-old looks different, needs something different than a 13-year-old maturing into a 14-year-old. But let's not be mistaken, all of us should be maturing towards Christ. And so some of the language that we've been using internally that you'll start to hear publicly is this, is as a vision for Redemption Peoria, where are we going? What do we want to be about? Is that we would be a church that follows Jesus to become like Jesus in order to do what Jesus does. That we would follow Jesus to become like him in order to do what he does. Some people want to follow Jesus, but they just want to follow him from a distance. They want to follow him for their salvation. They don't want to go to hell. They want to go to heaven. That's a good thing. But then they want to go, ah, I want to do my life how I want to do my life. We don't want to end just by following Jesus because if you really follow him, you start to become like him. The Spirit lives and breathes in you, and as you interact with God's Word, with God's people, you start to get formed, you start to get shaped, you live differently, you start to mature in a way that's different. And so we don't want to just follow Jesus, we want to follow Him to become like Him so that we start to do what He does. And what does Jesus do? If you know the story of Christ, He gives His life for others. He sacrifices Himself 
So the way we want to follow Jesus in that manner as a community here at Redemption Peoria, we go, okay, what does that look like for us? What is our responsibility as we are all doing this together? It's not the staff, the professional Christians doing the things and you're just observers. It's all of us together. We all lock arms together as a unit to do this, to follow Jesus well. Well, in the midst of that, how, how can we produce mature people in Christ? We can't do it ourselves. The Spirit has to do it in us. But what can we do is we can uh, create environments, right? Just like a plant, you can't cause a plant to grow. That's not in your ability. But you can put it in light. You can give it water. You can give it the things it needs, the nutrients it needs to grow. And so we talk about this all the time in the rhythms course. If you've been through it, we want to create environments of resting and healing we want to create environments of connection and growth, and we want to create environments of love and sacrifice. So when we think of what we do here at Redemption Peoria, that's the grid we're looking through. Are we creating environments of resting? Not just some people come out of churches and they're just burn out, and they just need to come in and rest and heal. But not just resting physically or not serving, but that your rest would be found in Christ, that your healing would be found in Christ. Not only that, there would be environments of connection and growth that we would know each other, and then that there would be environments of loving and sacrificing like Jesus does. So as we talk about Colossians 1.28, and we look at that verse, what it means to be mature in Christ, we're talking about physical growth and maturity, that that's what we want as a community, as a church. When I think about um, what stunts physical growth, I grew up in the 80s, and uh, I don't know if any of you ever heard this, but I, I was a basketball player, and so height, I always wanted to grow taller, right? There's this whole scene where Michael Jordan talks about he'd hang from the chin-up bar to see if he would grow longer, and I tried that. It obviously didn't work. Um, but, but the things that always, I was always told that hinder your height, your growth, there were three things that always came to the surface. I don't know if you ever heard these. One, you don't smoke cigarettes, too early. This is kind of like from age one to like puberty. You don't want to smoke because that's going to hinder your height. You don't want to drink coffee in that, in that time because that, that will hinder your growth. And you don't want to lift weights because the growth plates and like, so that's what I was always told. Stay away from cigarettes, stay away from coffee. Don't lift weights too early. None of those are proven scientifically. I mean, not that they're good for you to do at that age necessarily, um, but, but that doesn't really hinder your growth. What does hinder your growth is your diet, like if you eat too much junk food, um, carbonated drinks, too much sugar, not enough sleep, and inactivity. Those are the things that are proven that will hinder your height or your growth. So if those are things that stunt our physical growth, and we're talking about maturing in Christ, what would stunt our spiritual growth? There's tons of things that could potentially stunt it, but things that we've been praying on for the last really nine months to a year as a staff, two areas that we want to focus on in these five weeks together. The first one we're going to talk about today is pride, and the second one we're going to talk about for three weeks is shame. Those are two things that we have been praying. I've been praying specifically in my life. We've been praying collectively to go, God, you have to kill. You have to murder. You have to put in the ground any pride found in us and any toxic shame. And those are kind of two sides of one coin. 
So I'm going to teach on pride this morning. We're going to look at two passages from two different kings in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles. We're going to talk about uh, why that's so dangerous. And then Jim Ellis is going to preach for us next week. And he's going to talk out of Hebrews, talking about in the Colossians passages of warnings and why we have to pay attention to this and why we have to do it in the context of community. We need each other in our growth. And then the last three weeks, we'll talk about shame. Why do we hide from God? Why do we hide from each other? And then how do we get healing? How do we come out of that hiding? And so that just gives you an idea of where we're going to go as a series for the next four weeks, uh, and then including today. I have a friend, um, my wife and I speak with uh, um, Family Life. We do these marriage conferences, and we do four of them a year all over the country. There's a team of about 50 couples that do this, and we get together with those couples. We're uh, connected with them, and uh, we get emails to pray for one another, and there's some couples that are um, older in age. They're in their 70s, and so usually when we get emails regarding praying for each other, it's usually somebody has surgery or there's something medically going on. Well, two weeks ago, we got an email, and Jim Davis, who's a pastor in Orlando, Florida, he's on this team, him and his wife, Angela, um, he's about my age. He's mid-40s, got three kids, he's fit, he exercises, he eats right, he had a massive heart attack. He's fine, but in the email, he wrote to the whole team saying, hey, just pray for my recovery. He goes, I just just wouldn't have thought this. I, I have good health. I feel like I have good health. I don't have any symptoms. But he hasn't gone for a checkup to the doctor in a while. And he said, everybody I've talked to that's been my age has been like, man, I haven't gone to the doctor in a while. I feel fine. And he's going, go to the doctor. He genetically just had high blood pressure. And all of a sudden, he just, on a Sunday, just dropped down and had a heart attack. Thankfully, they got him to the hospital quick enough, and he's okay. If you're familiar with the medical community, what they talk about when they use the language of high blood pressure is they call it the silent killer. Because one in five people have high blood pressure and they have zero symptoms. They feel fine. And then all of a sudden, what high blood pressure will do, also high cholesterol, it leads to heart attacks, it leads to strokes, it leads to brain aneurysms, heart failure, kidney failure, vision problems that can often lead to blindness. High blood pressure is called the silent killer. And what I want to suggest, what we want to suggest to you, is the spiritual silent killer for us in our communities is pride. Is pride. We often don't talk about pride. Uh, We're going to talk about even how it shows up in the context, the subcontext of the church culture in uh, in our country. What does that actually look like? That some of us, we walk around with this idea of pride and it will kill us. It will kill. If we're trying to follow Jesus to become like him, to do what he does, pride will stunt our growth every single time. So um, if you have a Bible, pull it out to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. 2 Chronicles is in your Old Testament. There's no shame in looking in your table of contents because nobody knows where 2 Chronicles is. You're not reading that in your devotional. You do your read through the Bible. You get to Lamentations and you quit. Everybody knows that. Okay, so... Look at, look at your table of contents, Second Chronicles, and as we're talking about pride, if you're unfamiliar with the biblical story, what happens in Genesis 3, because the first man and the woman, they don't choose God, they choose their own way, they get tricked into believing that their way is better, and they disobey God, and when that happens, pride enters into every single human 
that goes after them. Because of what happens in Genesis 3, we have a natural propensity to pride, to be self-assured, to do what we want to do. We also have a culture that prompts and celebrates that mentality of pride, even in the subculture of the church. And we have an enemy that operates and feeds us this formula or version of growth. This is actually what you need. Self-improvement. Do it on your own. And because of those things, pride can go undetected. And it's a silent killer. This is a massive problem with our connection with God and our connection with people. So we're going to look at two kings this morning. One named Uzziah and second Chronicles chapter 26. And then uh, we'll look at another one named uh, um, Manasseh in, in chapter 33. So let's start in verse 3 of 2 Chronicles chapter 26. This is what it says. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Man, that's a good start to Uzziah. He does well. He takes the reign at age 16, and he fears the Lord, and he honors him, and God blesses that. And as you continue to read the text, some of the things, the successes that you see Uzziah have, he has military success. He defeats the Philistines. He extends the territory of God's people. He amasses this huge army of protection for the nation. He has architectural success. He builds towers. He secures the land. He has agricultural success. The text says that he loves the soil. He provides food for his people. He advances technology. He has technological success. He creates new machines. Uzziah is a good king. His leadership is going very well for a long time. Drop down to verse 15 in the story. It says, in Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on towers and corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Verse 16, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who are men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, This is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong. And it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Verse 19, then Uzziah became angry. And now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest and in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous from his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because he, the Lord had struck him 
And King Uzziah was a leper to that day from his death. And being a leper, he lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. Let's talk about the story of Uzziah. He starts really well. He trusts God. God gives him favor, gives him success in his leadership. He does amazing things until what? Verse 16. He became strong and grew proud to his destruction. His pride leads to his destruction. It leads to his downfall. It leads to his ruin. Now notice, this is interesting. It it, it wasn't that he did something wrong necessarily. Look back at the text. Look, read, read between the lines in the narrative in the story. It's not like he goes, okay, I'm going to go in and I'm going to burn incense. And as soon as he goes in to decide to burn incense, God strikes him with leprosy. That's not what happens in the story. So it's not like leaders have to be perfect, right? That's usually this conversation that we have of going like, man, I see some, per- well, you want me to be perfect? No, it's not about being perfect. When does God strike him and judge him with leprosy? Because do you see the grace of God even in this moment? King Uzziah is the leader. He grows proud. And who knows? The text doesn't tell us. Maybe there's a conversation with some of his his leadership, and they go, hey, you should be able to go burn incense to the Lord. You're King Uzziah. Look at what you've done. You should be able to go anywhere you want. And he starts to believe that. Who knows? But he goes in regardless, and he does something he's not meant to do. And it's not until people go, hold on. God sends a priest and 80 men to go, this isn't for you. Even in that, there's grace. God gives him grace to send him people, to warn him, to protect him, to go, this isn't for you. You you need to pay attention to this Uzziah. And it's not until the text says, what does he do? Verse 19, he becomes angry. He becomes angry when somebody corrects him, when somebody warns him, when somebody goes, no, 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 this isn't right. Because he's proud. Dallas Willard, in his book, Renovations of the Heart, which is a classic book, he says this. He says, the situations we find ourselves in are never as important as our responses to them. Isn't that interesting? The situations we find ourselves in are never as important as our responses to them. The reason that Uzziah goes down is because his response to the priests, he becomes angry because of his pride. How is your heart when you're corrected? Do you have a soft heart of humility? Or do you have a proud heart and you get angry when somebody tries to help you in your growth spiritually? When it comes to somebody correcting you, what is your mindset? Do you have a fixed mindset? No, I'm right. This is right. Or do you have a growth mindset to go, okay, what can I learn? How do I change? What do I need to pay attention to? Because all of us initially, because the pride in our heart, because of our own sinful hearts, when somebody presses up against us, we naturally want to press back and go, oh, you don't know what, you, you don't know what you're talking about. And that's a version of pride that's dangerous in all of us that will stunt our growth and our connection with the Lord. I know for me personally, when I'm I'm praying about this and I'm thinking about it and I'm trying to pay attention to it, defensiveness is usually a good indicator for me that I have pride going on. 
right? Am I defensive when somebody corrects me or when somebody says, hey, you said this? Like, do I automatically begin to think in my mind, okay, how am I going to defend myself? Let me, let me explain to you why I'm not wrong and you are. One of the definitions of defensiveness is just this idea of anxious to challenge or avoid criticism. When somebody points something out to you, maybe it's in your job, maybe it's in your family, maybe it's your friends, they come alongside you. In, in any regard that's negative towards you is your natural posture to defend yourself and to explain. No, 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 you don't understand it right. Oh, I can see why you say, no, 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 let me explain it to you. And we need to be aware that that's a version of pride. And we need to ask God to change it. And when you look at Uzziah's story, he does so much good for so long. And then at the very end of his life, he does this. And it leads to his downfall. And even the text, he is separated from God as a leper. He is no longer able to go into the house of the Lord, into the temple. And he's separated from people. People won't go around him. So he is in isolation to the day of his death. Why? Because of his pride. Pride is a silent spiritual killer. And in the church, in Christianity, in our culture, um, uh, pride, uh, everybody would go, like, if you read your Bible, go, oh, yeah, yeah, pride's bad, pride's bad, pride's bad. But um, they use their sneaky language that it gets masked in, so they don't call it pride. It's called exceptionalism. Like, I, I mean, that church down the street's really good, but what we're doing here is really of the Lord. Our vision, right? We just talked about our vision here. Like, I'm not telling you our vision for where we want God to go to follow Jesus, to become like him, to do what he does. Not because our vision's better than the vision down the street, to the church down the street. It's so that we can go, what do we latch on to? What are we about here? But often in churches and in Christianity, it's kind of this, we're better than you. It's exceptionalism. That's a version of pride. It also comes up in the church culture of entitlement. This entitlement? Like, because I am who I am, I can do what I want. You can't tell me what to do. That's a version of pride. Clearly, Uzziah got caught into that when he kind of went into the temple, which was not meant for him. Another way we see pride show up, masked in the church, is this language of strong leadership. They're a strong leader. You can see, man, they can do it, and they, they don't take no for it. They, they're going to lead, and it's going to be great. And you just go like, does anybody else see that that's prideful? How did Jesus tell us to lead, to serve? So if you're leading in any context, and then you get feedback that's negative, do you have a humble heart to go, what do I need to hear? What do I need to pay attention to? Or do you go, I can't believe that person said that. How dare they? I'm just asking God, we're praying to God, God, would you kill pride? Would you put it in the ground? Would you bury it? Would you murder it? I don't want any part of it in my own life. I don't want any part of it in our community. And we're asking God to do something about it, to send people to correct us like we see in Uzziah, to go, God, we don't want to be prideful people. We don't want to mask it in this entitlement language. We don't want to mask it in exceptionalism. We don't want to mask it in some type of strong leadership language. We want to be humble people because we know pride will kill us in our relationship with you. If high blood pressure is the silent killer, 
physically, how do you combat it? My friend Jim, again, what he said, he exercises, he does well. If you don't exercise, some of the stuff that you do to lower your blood pressure is you exercise, you, you eat less salt, you pay attention to your diet. If you smoke, you stop smoking. If you drink, you stop drinking. But you get regular checkups. That's what my friend wasn't doing. We need to go and get regular checkups. That's how you combat high blood pressure. That's how you combat the silent killer physically. How do we combat the spiritual silent killer? How do we combat pride? Let's look at the next king for the answer, 2 Chronicles 33. Flip a couple pages in your Bible. This is Manasseh. Manasseh is the son of Hezekiah, who was a good king. Hezekiah is the great-great-grandson of Uzziah. So it's a couple generations down. Let's read about Manasseh, verse 1 of chapter 33. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations, whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. First of all, it just feels unwise to put a 12-year-old in power. I don't know. Of course he's going to do terrible things. He's 12, and he's a boy. I, I'm just going right away. I'm going like, this is just bad. This is bad. And it, it becomes bad. If you continue to read on, some of the things that Manasseh does, again, they're, they're hard to, to, to stomach. Manasseh rebuilds the altars and the idols that his father has torn down before him to other gods. He starts rebuilding them in the city. Um, he kills his own sons as a sacrifice to these idols. His own kids, he murders them. He brings fortune tellers and sorcerers into prominence and power. And not only does he build altars for these idols outside uh, in the city, but he, he puts idols in the temple, inside of the temple to be worshipped. He does terrible things. Pick it up in verse 9. It says, Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil in the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Verse 11, therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him. And God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord was God. Man, do you see the grace of God in here? Even in verse 10 and 11, he speaks to Manasseh and his people. He's going, don't do this, don't do this. And they just don't pay attention to him, the text says. And then in verse 11, God, in his grace, in his sovereignty, sends somebody to capture Manasseh so that he can get to the depths, to the bottom, where he cries out to God. And then as he cries out to God, God does what he hears him and he moves towards him. Do you hear the grace of the God of the Bible? 
Man, I'm just saying, if I'm in God's position, and this dude has done what? And he's turned, he's led terribly, and he's put altars up, and like he's defaming me, and he's doing all these things, and now he cries out to me, I'm going to go, this is your problem, Manasseh. These are the consequences for your leadership decisions, Manasseh. This is what you get. You made your bed, now you lie in it. That's not the God of the Bible. It's like a younger son takes his dad's inheritance and then he spends it in a wild way. And if you know this story that Jesus told, then he comes back to his father. And if I'm the dad, I'm going, okay. All right, maybe you can come back, but clearly you got to learn your lesson. Is that what happens in the story? No, the father runs to his son before his son can even get this speech out of like, oh, God. he just embraces him, puts a robe on his shoulders, puts a, a ring on his finger and says, come, we're going to celebrate because you were lost and now you're found. This is what happens with Manasseh. He does horrible, unspeakable things. God in his grace moves towards him to the point of he is at the lowest of the low. He finally cries out to God and God moves towards him. And rescues him in his humility. That's unbelievable. I mean, even think, look at those two, look at the two kings side by side. You think Uzziah, what, he's just going to burn some incense, big deal. Like it's one little thing. And because of his pride, the Lord deals with him swiftly and directly. Manasseh does horrible things. And because of his humility, God moves towards him and forgives him. And I love that line at the end of verse 13. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Because if you continue to read the text, what Manasseh does is he goes back and he cleans house. He takes all the idols and he tears them down. It's not like Manasseh was just looking for a get-out-of-jail-free card. Oh, I'm really struggling. God, could you help me this one time? And then God helps him and then he just does whatever he wants. No, he knows the Lord is God. He starts to worship him in his humility, and in his Uzziah's pride leads to his ruin, and Manasseh's humility leads to his rescue. The thing I love about this story, too, is because, again, if you look on paper, you go, okay, like, like what Manasseh did seems unforgivable, and what Uzziah did doesn't seem that big of a deal. And that's kind of how we think of our lives sometimes. God, like, like this person can't be forgiven, but I only did this little thing. It's not that big a deal. We can paint it again in an exceptionalism or good leadership or strong leadership. And it goes like pride will crush you. It will kill you. And again, in our culture, it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal. That's a problem. James 4, 6 says it this way. It just says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God is not indifferent in pride. He's not neutral at pride. He's kind of like, well, you got a little pride. You need to work on that. God opposes the proud. He is anti-proud hearts. He is anti-proud minds. This is a problem for us. If we don't pay attention, this will kill us. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I remember in elementary school learning about magnets. And every time I read this verse, think about this verse, meditate this verse, I think about when I learned about magnets. Do you guys remember that in elementary school? I have these two magnets up here. This is going to be a challenge with a microphone like this. But um, if I had both hands, I didn't think this one through. Um, can you come help me? Yes, Addy, come. Okay. Come on up. 
Can you hold these two magnets? Okay, don't pinch your fingers because they're pretty strong. Okay, pull them apart. And what happens, um, we just had these magnets this way. They're attracted to each other and they really stick together, don't they? Okay, now pull them apart again. Now I want you to press like this. What happens? Yeah. It's, it's actually opposing it. The magnetic force. I remember as a kid, thank you, Addie. Good job. Well done. Amazing. I just remember as a kid realizing, like, I would take one magnet and I would push it towards the other magnet and it would push it away. And it was like an invisible force. Like, it was like, these just stuck to each other and you just flip it around and it, and it pushes it away. And every time I read that verse, that's what I think about. I think about it. If there's any pride in my heart, any pride in my mind, and I try to move towards God, you know what this text is saying? He is not going to, he's going to move away. Because he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So for us, we need to pray. We need to ask God to change us. Because I don't want to be opposed to God in any way, form, or fashion. Even if it's good on the outside and all things are great. Like, it's so sneaky. It's so deadly. I don't want God to oppose my prayers. I don't want God to not hear me. And I know when I have pride in my heart, that's the case. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How is your heart? How soft is it when it comes to correction? Some of us might have high blood pressure and we don't know about it. You got to go to the doctor, everybody. You got to go check it out. Get your blood test. It says one in five, typically. Have it, don't know it. Five in five of us have pride and we don't know it. So what do we got to do? We got to pay attention. We got to be in community. We got to be around people to help us see, man, when am I defending myself? If shame is about where am I hiding, pride is about where am I defending? Do I pay attention to that? Do I have a soft heart when people come and go, hey, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about this. Is my initial flinch to go, oh, no, 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 you're wrong. Or is it going like, okay, what do I need to pay attention to? How do I need to hear that? Like we need that in the midst of our community. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, has uh, in chapter 8, he calls it the great sin. And it's all about pride. It's one of my favorite chapters in any book. It's definitely worth reading. And in it, he says this. He says, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that's above you. Man, if you've made the decision to follow Christ in your life, you call yourself a Christian, you've given your life to him, it doesn't negate you from being proud. Pride just doesn't go away with your salvation. We still have it in us because we're still wrestling with our flesh. But what it does do, if you are a Christian, what it does do is the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, starts working in you, in God's people, in God's word, and now you have the even opportunity to be humble to ask God to give you a humble heart. If you don't have Christ, you have no opportunity to do that. But those of us that have given our life to Christ, we go, we need you to change us. We need you to help us. Andrew Murray has a book called Humility. It's just this tiny little book. I think it's a dollar on Kindle. It's totally worth reading. And they're short chapters. You could read a chapter a day. And it's all about this idea of pride and humility. 
This is what he says in it. He's talking to Christians when he says, Believer, seek the humility of Jesus. This is the secret, the hidden root of your redemption. I love that language. The secret hidden root of your redemption. Sink down into it more deeply day by day. Believe with your whole heart that Christ, whom God has given us, will work in us, making us what the Father wants us to be. How do we combat pride? We seek and we follow Jesus. We look at what he has done. We read Philippians 2 and we see that he didn't account equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, becoming the form of a human and then eventually moving towards the cross. As we look at Colossians 1.28, as we proclaim Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we might present everyone mature in Christ. This is an area that will stunt our growth every time if we don't pay attention to it. We're going to have conversations about this. We're praying for this every Tuesday as a staff. We pray for many of you that we have prayer cards that you've asked us to pray for. We have other things we're praying for. And one of the cards we have is kill any pride or shame in us. And God might be doing that in certain circumstances that you don't really like. (laughs) It's usually how it happens with me opportunities to go, oh, I feel kind of embarrassed right now. Oh, is there pride there? Is there shame there? Like God in his grace, he's orchestrating circumstances to expose my pride, to expose your pride, to expose our shame so that we can be healed, so that we can grow. We are praying constantly for that in our community. Run the way that Murray says it in his book, Humility, he says this, pride has its root and its strength in a terrible spiritual power outside of us as well as within us. We must confess it, deplore it, and be aware of its satanic origin. This may lead us to despair of ever conquering it or casting it out, but it will also lead us all the sooner to that supernatural power in which alone our deliverance is to be found, the redemption of the Lamb of God. As we think about Genesis 3 and we think and we see that story, we read that story, and Satan kind of breathes into humanity this pride that is now in all of us. What do we see at Pentecost? God and his people breathes in his spirit to have the opportunity to be different, to have the opportunity to be humble, to have the opportunity to combat pride. It's not us doing it. God has to do it in us, but we have to pay attention to it. Otherwise, it will crush us. And the gospel, it requires a humble heart, doesn't it? I mean, for salvation, all of us realize that the gospel only works when we come to the end of ourselves, the end of our rope, like Manasseh, and we go, God, I can't do it on our own. I see that I am sinful. I'm separated from you because of that sin, and I need Jesus for rescue. You've promised that. Could I accept Jesus into my life, surrender my life to his, repent, turn the other way, and live for you? That is in a posture of humility every time. You cannot accept Christ with pride. It will not work. And so our heart is to say, don't only do that just for your salvation and then start walking in pride in these sneaky ways. We have to not only do it for this ticket to heaven, for this salvation, but we have to do it in every single step of our life. Because if we don't, it'll crush us. 
So the question, like, do you want your life to be like Uzziah? Man, all this unbelievable good leadership, great stuff, and then at the end, because you're proud, it leads to your destruction. Or do you go, no, I want to be like uh, uh, Manasseh, and I, I, I want my humility to lead to my rescue. As we come to the table this morning, as we do every single week, we come in a posture of humble steps. We come because we go, we, we can't do it. That's what the cross is about. That's what the resurrection is about. That's what communion is about. To be reminded that this is the body of Christ given to you, given to me. This is his blood shed for the forgiveness of my sin. I can't climb this ladder to earn my salvation. I have to be reminded every single week it only comes from what Christ has done in and through me. And so as we walk to the table, we walk in humble steps to go, God, would you root out any pride found in us? Would you help us confess it? And would you help us change? Let's pray. Father, we need your spirit to do this. We cannot do it on our own. We recognize that. God, would you help us expose us to the, the ways we're defending ourselves, expose us to the sneaky pride of exceptionalism and entitlement and strong leadership. God, would you root it out of us? Would you murder it? Would you put it in the ground? Would you kill it? And would you allow us to understand and receive your grace in circumstances that are exposing our pride so that we can turn in humility and go, God, help us. That's our prayer, God, as we follow you to become like you, to do what you do. Help kill any pride in us. We ask that you would do it. And we pray it in your name. Amen.